Four years ago this summer, Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in that jail cell in federal custody. A lot of us don't feel that he killed himself. Do you feel that way? The federal government is convinced they're telling us investigation after investigation. Oh, yes, he killed himself. Here's some more information that leads them to that conclusion. Let's see. No cellmate, despite recommendation. Yeah, the suicide watch thing. Signed new will and testament two days prior. I didn't know that. Made unmonitored phone call that night against jail procedures, we presume. Alone with surplus bed linens. Too much bed linens? What's that all about? Nearly all surveillance cameras did not work. Overworked guards so much so that they were asleep. Yeah, there, there was a lot of clothing. <laughs> a lot of clothing inside that jail cell. And a lot of things with which to hang yourself. But I'm still not buying it. Look, reasonable people have questions about this. And I kind of loved it when the attorney general, ex-attorney general Bill Barr, somebody ran into him on the street and decided to ask him some questions. That's still our constitutional right for the time being. Hey, uh, you're the attorney general. Yeah. Nice to meet you. <laughs> it starts out pleasant enough. He thinks he's been spotted like a celebrity. Next. Hey, I appreciate all the work you've done. But whatever happened with Jeffrey Epstein and uh, how come he hung himself in, your, in his cell when you were the uh, director of prisons. Mr. Barr, why did Jeffrey Epstein hang himself while you were in charge of the Bureau of Prisons? And why did your dad hire him to teach at the Dalton School? Mr. Barr, why did uh, Jeffrey Epstein hang himself um, in maximum security prison when you were in charge of the Bureau of Prisons? Yeah, the Bureau of Prisons reports to the Department of Justice and he was running the DOJ in the summer of 2019. And that stuff about his dad hiring Jeff Epstein, it's true. Get to that in a moment. Well, I'll get to it right now. Yeah, in the 1970s, he was hired as a math teacher, even though he did not have a college degree. And who hired him? Yeah, Bill Barr's father, who was the headmaster of the Dalton School, a very prestigious private school in New York City. Kind of weird. Actually, incredibly strange. Next. Mr. Barr, why did that happen? Your dad hired um, Jeffrey Epstein to teach at the Dalton School. I don't understand what's, why you don't want to answer a basic question. All right. Have a good day. Eh, something tells me he could hear those questions, even though he put one finger in one ear, pretending he was on the phone. An old Washington trick. It ended pleasantly. Look, we don't want anybody to get harassed, but that was perfectly fine, perfectly appropriate. And we still have a lot of questions about Jeffrey Epstein, huh? Are we allowed to ask those? Are we allowed to ask the questions about the Bidens? Hmm? Doesn't seem that way lately, right? Hiding in plain sight, these guys, they are having the time of their lives. They are going to state dinner parties. They're going to Camp David, flying on helicopters, on jet planes. Why is Hunter, who's like 52 or 53 years old, hanging around with his dad all the time? It's a little bit strange. And it's very easy to let this story go. All the alleged corruption, the apparent bribery, the, quite frankly, the sex with the sister-in-law and the sex with the sister-in-law's sister. Yeah, this is a scandal-plagued family. But you wouldn't know that watching the news. 
Fortunately, Republicans are in charge of the House of Representatives and they are pursuing this. The House Oversight Committee, they have come up with damning evidence indicating that millions of dollars are flowing to the Bidens from all over the world. And the House Ways and Means Committee, more recently, the stuff they've come up with, that mind-blowingly incriminating text message to some Chinese Communist Party official, pay us or else. And back when the Republicans were in charge of the Senate, this was an important report, got overlooked. Mitt Romney badmouthed it. Way to go, Mitt. The Homeland Security uh, report on Hunter Biden and all the things he was doing overseas. And of course, all the way back in 2020, the New York Post, what they uncovered in that laptop that the FBI and the intelligence community and everybody else said was not true when it actually was. The text messages, the emails, it goes on and on and on. And then who remembers Tony Bobolinsky? That guy had a lot to say. And I like Tony Bobolinsky. I hope he's safe and happy wherever he is. I'm not exactly sure what happened to him, but he still has a story to tell. And uh, the Bidens are rich people. How did that happen? 50 years in public service. They don't even call it public service anymore. You notice that? I mean, let's face it. <laughs> this is not public service. Very quickly, though, the money, Ukraine. How much has a House Oversight Committee figured so far? $10 million, they're alleged, alleging. $5 million for Hunter, $5 million for Joe. From China, $3 million transferred to the Biden family through various companies. Romania, this is, and by the way, at the very least, they think there's a lot more than this. And yeah, family members, look, they have the receipts. The government has the receipts now. At least our elected leaders do in the Republican Congress. And what's happening to it? All this evidence, and it's being ignored by our culture. Because when stuff comes up that's embarrassing to the Bidens, embarrassing to the Democrats, there's a, a knee-jerk muscle rea memory reaction by, well, who remembers this? Let me ask some follow me. Please respond, if and then we're going to have follow-up questions. If this is true about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq, if this is true, then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody's hey, President Trump, I want to stay hell. on the issue Excuse of race. Me. We're Take talking about the, the issue. from hell. President Trump, Nobody. we're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. <laughs> the issue of race. Everybody wants to talk about race. They want to have a silly conversation about race to avoid having an important, consequential but uncomfortable conversation about race. I'll be having one after the commercial break, if you care to stick around. Um, here's a problem I have with Donald Trump, though. Back in 2016, during the debate with Hillary Clinton, he, um, he said something that he didn't make good on. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Yeah, because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. <laughs> It was a great line, and it brought the house down, but he actually didn't mean it. And I kind of like this about him because, believe it or not, Donald Trump has a big heart. And after he's elected, he's the president-elect, and he sits down with 60 Minutes, and the question is, are you going to do that? Are you going to do what you said? You called her crooked Hillary, said you wanted to get in jail. Your people and your audiences kept saying, lock him up. Yeah. Well, she do did, you want she to did put some it, bad things? I mean, she I did know, some bad things. I know, but a special prosecutor? You I think don't want to hurt them. I don't want to hurt them. 
They're, they're good people. I don't want to hurt them. But Mr. President, they want to destroy you. They want to hurt you. They want to hurt your family. And well, he knows that. I mean, look at these guys. They were plotting and scheming during the campaign, during the transition. They were arresting innocent people like General Flynn. And now I do believe Donald Trump is uh, is innocent. He really is. But relentlessly pounding away. Remember all that stuff about uh, Joe Biden? It's not making the news, but this is. The audio recording of former President Trump seeming to undermine his claim that he did not show others a secret Pentagon document after he left office. What he is saying in the new fallout tonight. The new fallout tonight. How can we milk this thing and keep it going, keep it going? I think people understand that this is noise, that there's nothing really there. But I will go through that audio tape in a moment and debunk it. It is nonsense. It's nothing to worry about. However, it gets, if it gets in front of the wrong jury, who knows? Hey, what else did the fake news talk about tonight on Lester Holt show? Good evening from Aspen, where I sat down just a short time ago with former Congresswoman Liz Cheney. My interview with her in just a few minutes. The top of the news, Liz Cheney, didn't she just lose a few months ago? She lost. She lost by like 50 points. Liz Cheney, huh? And they call it a swamp. Why? Go figure, huh? All right. To the audio tape that has the fake news uh, in a buzz, in a tizzy. They are so excited. They think they finally got them. They don't. Let's go. Sick people. That, but, was, that was your coup, you know, against you. That's well, it started right at the Like beginning. when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to do a coup. No, they, they were All trying right. to do that before you even were sworn in. Stop it right there. It's true. <laughs> they were trying to take him out before he was even sworn in. During the campaign, during the transition, Comey goes to Trump Tower with the steel dossier and pulls a classic J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, Mr. President, we have these reports about you in Moscow now. It's, I'm not saying they're true, but they were trying to, what were they trying to do? Get him to quit? It's crazy. These guys, these guys. Oh, and something else happened. Who remembers this? During the inaugural speech, watch these troops do an about face and walk off. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? I wish I noticed it right then and there, okay? The coup against him was already in progress. Next. That's right. Trying to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack... Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record. That's very important. This is off the record. Off the record. Now, most people, most jurors don't know really what that means. Real people don't talk like that. I'm not going to. They just don't talk like that. They talk like that in politics. Off the record, meaning you can't use this. I'm telling you something that's a secret. It's got to maintain. It's got We got to maintain secrecy here. And it's done all the time. The New York Times classically reported in April of 2006 that President Trump authorized an aide to disclose classified intelligence on Iraqi weapons. It came as no shock to anybody because that's the way the game is played in Washington. And this is one heck of a paragraph. The leaking of secrets has long been a favored tool of policy debate, political combat and diplomatic one-upmanship. Sound familiar? 
Next. They presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Now, he's talking about something. He's not actually giving it to anybody. That's very important. And if it is classified, we don't know if it is. But if it is, you got to remember things like this. Bob Woodward, who is the hero of the swamp, made his t oh, entire career writing stuff uh, from classified material. He brags about seeing classified material. He puts it in his book. He sees classified material all the time. And remember that thing in the New York Times. All right, what's next? Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential yeah. secret. <laughs> this is secret information. Yeah. But look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time, you know. <laughs> send it, you know she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. Again, he calls it secret information, not secret documents. Uh, and it's true. Hillary was disseminating this stuff. If he has it and if it's in his possession and he's talking about it, this is not a violation. It's not. They know it's not. They know this is done all the time. And yet they think they can get this case by by jurors. They're going to fool them. Also, on Iran, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, there is a game going on with Milley, Iran and the president. More on that in a moment. Next, please. By the way, isn't that incredible? Yeah. I was just saying because we were talking about it. <laughs> And you know, he said he wanted to attack Iran and what? And he said the papers. This was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably. Right? What I think he's asking there, I think we can probably let these people know this information if they want to write about it. Remember. What did the New York Times say about this kind of stuff? The leaking of secrets has long been a favored tool of policy debate, political combat, and diplomatic one-upsmanship. Finally, he asked for some refreshments. It's so cool. I mean, it's so, I'm, look, we here and I have, and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, I believe It's incredible, you. right? No, they, hey, bring they some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. Yeah, when you're talking about, let's have a few Diet Cokes, you don't think you're in the middle of a crime, and he was not in the middle of a crime. And the political combat, yeah. I mean, the entire swamp was coming at him after his presidency. Remember the furor about he wanted to invade Iran, just like he said. There's another book coming out next year that is reporting that General Milley also warned Trump against a possible strike on Iran. What was apparently keeping the chairman of the Joint Chiefs up at night was this worry that Trump would, would get us into a full-blown military conflict with Iran. Trump was very interested. Well, maybe we should strike Iran. And Milley and the others kept telling him, if you strike Iran, that could lead to a major war. General Mark Milley, the top American general, was worried the president might try to order military strikes on Iran. So that brings us to General Milley. Mutinous Mark Milley, as I like to call him. I'm sorry, but that guy, another thing that President Trump should have done, he should have fired Mark Milley after Mark Milley apologized for walking across the street. Remember that? This guy went around official Washington apologizing. He didn't have to apologize. There was no real controversy about it. He just wanted to get in with the swamp. I'm with you guys, not with him. 
during his interview, according to the book Divider, because this guy was their big source. He talked to The Washington Post. He talked to uh, The New York Times. And this is apparently what he told President Trump during his interview for chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Milley assured him, Mr. President, you're going to be making the decisions. All I can guarantee from me is I'm going to give you an honest answer, and I'm not going to talk about it on the front page of the Washington Post, as he tells the Washington Post and the New York Times. Milley drafted a resignation letter, but Milley did not send the letter. Instead, he spent his days apologizing and agonizing. Just what you want out of your chief general. The voluble general had talked all around the problem, and then he decided, F that S-H-I blank, he told the staff, I'll just fight him. He's talking about the president. He, a general, is going to fight the president of the United States. This is coup material. Forget January 6th. This is the problem. Uh, and the Constitution apparently offered him very few options. Warning sign, general. The Constitution offered no practical guide for a general faced with a rogue president. No, that's, uh, that's backwards. A rogue general. He went rogue. He boasted, if they want to court-martial me or put me in prison, have at it, Milley told his staff. But I will fight from the inside. And he did. What kind, of, what kind of subordinate is this? The law says he's a subordinate to the president of the United States. He's in open defiance. He called Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Why? After the Lafayette Square episode, to apologize, he was extremely contrite and communicated he had no intention of playing Trump's game any longer. This is fascinating to me. Some guy named Robert Bauer, the former Obama White House counsel who was then advising the Biden campaign, recalled later he was really burned by that experience. He was appalled. He apologized for it. And it was pretty clear he was digging his heels in. What in the world is some lawyer who's working on the Biden campaign talking to Millie about this stuff? This is mutinous. This is mutinous. Uh, Milley also allegedly said, life looks really blanky, S-H, from behind bars. And whether you want to realize it or not, there's going to be a president at exactly 1,200 hours on the 20th, and his name is Joe Biden. And if you guys do anything that's illegal, I don't mind having you in prison. So unbelievably self-serving. Nobody minds if anybody does anything illegal going to prison. All right, easy there, General. And he was saying this in November and December. Hmm? Before January 6th, civilians are allowed to debate things about the election, especially under the Electoral Count Act of 1887. This guy, wildly outside of his lane, as they like to say in the military. A couple of more quick things. Regarding Iran, Trump kept asking for alternatives, including even an attack inside Iran on its ballistic weapon sites. Milley explained that would be illegal. If you attack the mainland of Iran, you'll be starting a war, the chairman cautioned him. If we do what you're saying, the general warned, we are all going to be tried as war criminals in The Hague. Uh, no. By the end, even Pompeo, the Iran hawk, had opposed a strike on Iran at this late hour in Trump's presidency. He realized that the clock ran out, Milley told his staff. Trump was convinced he would not order the strike. Well, given that the Biden administration has exited the Iran nuclear deal, a strike might have been advisable, maybe. 
I'm hearing that it was responsibly and reasonably discussed, not an invasion of Iran, but a strike. You know, the Israelis, they're very good at this stuff. They don't mess around. Back in 1981, they struck the Iraqi nuclear facility. You're, <laughs> these things are done to protect nations, except Mark Milley didn't think so. And also, even after an election, before an inauguration, he's still the commander-in-chief. He really was. Mark Milley didn't want to acknowledge that. George H.W. Bush ordered troops into a war zone in December of 1992. What was he at the time? A lame duck president of the United States. But it was legal and constitutional what he did. This is a CBS News special report. I'm Connie Chung reporting from CBS News headquarters in New York. Good day. President Bush is about to address the nation about his decision to send thousands of U.S. troops to the African nation of Somalia. Their mission will be to make sure that food gets through to millions of Somalis in danger of starving to death. So far, armed gangs have been stealing most of the aid. Wow. Totally constitutional. Within his power, he did it. There really wasn't much of an uproar. He wanted to get out by January 20th. We didn't get out until 1994. That was a problem. Hope this all made sense. I'll be right back. Hey, it's Tony Marino, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast, your 20-minute daily news update. I have to tell you how the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier is making my life Eden better. It uses proven oxy technology that quickly destroys viruses, odors, and mold pretty much anywhere in your home and fast. It's only about the size of your hand, so you can plug it in anywhere. Behind a sofa, behind a bed quickly eliminates odors from trash cans, litter boxes, cigarette smoke, cigar smoke, or whatever. Gone. I have one in the kitchen, another in the bedroom. The thunderstorm sends out O3 molecules which destroy odors, viruses, and mold with air so pure you can smell it. And we are loving our Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifiers. Right now, you can save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack and start enjoying your whole home again. Get three units for under 200 bucks. Put one anywhere you need clean, fresh air. And if you travel, take it with you for hotel rooms. Simply go to EdenPureDeals.com and put in discount code GREG to save $200. That's Eden, E-D-E-N, PureDeals.com, discount code GREG, and shipping is free. All right, so what you're watching is the arrest of a man who was allegedly, well, brandishing a knife and running around threatening people. So they call the cops and the guy is taken away. Uh, but because he's black and the victim is white, there's a problem. The white person does not think an arrest should actually be made under these circumstances. Check it out. I don't want him arrested. I just want to leave his alone. No, but he had a weapon on him and it was terrorist threats. Brandishing is not a crime with a knife. Brandishing is brandishing. only a crime for a gun. Terrorist threats, though, sir. Hmm. I took a business law class, and I seem to remember that they said nothing about brandishing anything. Brandishing with a knife is somehow not illegal. He's crazy, but now it gets utterly bizarre, but also maybe utterly typical and maybe a little bit understandable. I thought, I, thought, I, thought, I thought you were going to arrest him, I wouldn't call. I just wanted to leave this alone. 
I understand, but we still have a job to do. Now he's gonna say, he's gonna think I'm doing this because I'm white and he's black. Or he's homeless and I'm not. I don't want but that. He, but did he do what he did? Yeah, but I don't want him thinking that I did it because he's in whatever situation he's in. I, I just want him to leave us alone. I Wow. So this blew up the Internet. Everybody's like, what is this white guilt? Why is he crying and white guilt? And he he's black. He shouldn't be going. To... Uh, but maybe he's being one shrewd operator. I mean it. I mean, if you happen to be white and the wrong person gets inconvenienced, you could find yourself on the evening news. I mean, far worse than what this guy's going through. The confrontation caught on video, a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. Nobody brandishing any knife. She's totally she can't ask somebody. She can't ask somebody if they live in the apartment. Why? Because she's got blonde hair and she's got white skin. All right. There's a new order of doing business here in America and the media. Well, they're driving the guidelines. You want to see them? We've uh, we've been developing these for some time. OK, white assailant, white victim. Nobody cares. OK, next, please. If you have a black assailant and a black victim, most likely nobody cares. Now, under the next uh, scenario, black assailant and a white victim, pretty much nobody cares. However, here we go. OK, white assailant, black victim, media hits the jackpot. It's kind of fascinating. This this formula, there are some exceptions, but it generally holds true. Take a look at this uh, beating of a of a kid playing basketball. I've never seen anything so brutal, but it goes on and on and on. Uh, it made the local news, but no one else is really talking about it. Uh, it would appear as though race just might be a factor here. Also, in Oakland, California, uh, uh, hundreds of guys beat up on this dude for complaining about I think they were doing donuts with their cars. I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. Now, we think he's okay, but... So, these incidents don't make the news. But what happened again in St. Louis? What did she do? Excuse me. No. You don't have a key fob. You are... No. 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 If you have that, then okay. Ma'am, you're not security. You're not the property manager. You're not no, my car. No, but I live here. This made the evening news with David Muir. Remember, a white woman confronted a black man about whether he lived there or not. She lived there. He was Airbnb being it, apparently. America is having a very stupid and silly conversation about race to avoid having an, a serious and consequential one. Another example of idiocy. In Albany, there's a statue of uh, General Schuyler. He was big during the Revolutionary War. I have to admit, I'm unfamiliar with his accomplishments, but uh, he did some good things, apparently, for our side, for America. But, yeah, he had some slaves. In the 1700s, he had slaves. So what did they do? They took down the statue. And why? The New York Times tells us, yeah, because of the slaves, because he owned slaves. And I hate slavery. I hate that it happened, but it was kind of a, well, it was kind of a global thing. It was all over the world, slavery. Sorry, but it was. And we're not going to, yep, there it is. Uh, we're not going to have a country. We are not going to have an America if we keep doing idiotic things like this to make liberals at the New York Times feel good. You know, it's just a matter of time before they start talking about Washington, D.C. and changing its name. Because, yeah, Washington, too, 
own slaves. I went to Mount Vernon. I was in first grade. I remember learning that. I remember, wow, huh, really? Huh, huh. Uh, it's true. But it's part of our history, and we're going to get rid of Washington. If they keep this up, we're not going to have a country. Stay with us. Carrie Lake, her new book, it's called Unafraid. She's awesome, and uh, the book looks great, too. We'll be right back. He loves the Constitution. He fights for what's right. He hates the bad guys. He's a freedom warrior. He's your freedom warrior. Watch Carl Higby every weekday on Newsmax. Hey, guys, it's Carson. Imagine this. In the dead of night, you're lying in bed. Suddenly, you hear something go bump. What's your next move? Well, you reach for the ultimate solution. The new MC-14 T tip-up pistol from EAA Corp. and Gerson. This game-changing firearm is perfect for those with limited hand strength disabilities or anyone seeking a comfortable and user-friendly alternative. Picture this. The MC-14T features an ingenious tip-up barrel design, making loading and unloading a breeze. Say goodbye to struggles while racking a slide. Just load the tip-up barrel, lock it back, and you're ready to fire. That is pretty ingenious, actually. The MC-14T is chambered in 380 ACP boasting a 13-plus round capacity. With its reliable stopping power and compact size, it's an excellent choice for personal defense, complete with accessory rail and ambidextrous safeties. Experience a new level of convenience, available with all EAA Corp. distributors, starting at an incredibly affordable MSRP of just $498. Don't miss out on this game-changing firearm. Visit eaacorp.com today. eaacorp.com. The audio recording of former President Trump seeming to undermine his claim that he did not show others a secret Pentagon document after he left office. What he is saying in the new fallout tonight. Oh, my goodness gracious. Are they excited? Uh, you saw my... Uh Thoughts on this earlier? I don't think he's got a problem, but let's bring in the experts. Joe DeGeneva, former U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C., Newsmax contributor, and Tony Schaffer, DOD intel operative, lieutenant colonel, U.S. Army, retired. He's president of the London Center for Policy Research. Joe, the audio, I've heard it. I've said my piece. What do you think? Well, I, I think, you know, we don't know until we see the document what was being discussed. And we will see that later. Uh, right now, it's just a piece of audio. It's titillating, but it means absolutely nothing at this point. All right. And uh, Colonel Schaffer, to you, please. Look, I agree. Look, um, Joe and I have had discussions which I consider confidential or secret, but they had nothing to do with classified documents. It's just sensitivity. And what President Trump said, and I tend to believe it, if you're referring to articles and newspaper things, uh, there's always things going on behind the scenes. Heck, Greg, one time we had a clandestine operation where the actual event, the actual clandestine act, was captured on the cover of, of Newsweek magazine. So it doesn't make Newsweek magazine classified. It just means that something happened that's notable. So as Joe said, until we see the documents, and, 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 and by the way, unless those documents are labeled specifically with, classif with classification markings of secret or con confidential, which are technically legal uh, protection terms within 
the protected system of, of secrets, then we just don't know. And if they're not on there, then it means absolutely nothing. Well, even if they're on there, look, I, I want to put this thing up from The New York Times. I've actually handled classified documents, not that sensitive, but somewhat sensitive. And I'm not buying any of this. This is what The New York Times said all the way back in 2006. The leaking of secrets has long been a favored tool of policy debate, political combat, and diplomatic one-upmanship. You get in trouble with this stuff, yeah, if you put it on the Internet, if you sell it to the Chinese. But <laughs> Bob Woodward would not have any books, Joe, if they did not show him secret stuff from time to time. That's exactly right. And uh, we also do not know the origin of these leaks. Presumably, at this point, the source of the leaks is the government. And that's the only thing you're allowed to think of at this point. So I assume that Trump's lawyers are going to file motions to have the indictment dismissed based on a series of leaks starting before he was indicted and demanding hearings, sworn affidavits and testimony from all the investigative agents and prosecutors in the case. And if the judge is doing her job, she should allow all of those people to be placed under oath and take sworn testimony. Hearings like that could take a couple of weeks. I want to play one little clip. He says something that I think is very important, uh, telling everybody basically what I'm about to say I'm not saying. Listen to this. That's right. Trying to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record. That off the record thing, I think, is important. He's saying that you can't report this. You can't talk about this. This is between us. That's a thing. And also, Millie already told everybody in town that he, that it was Trump's idea. He's just saying it was their idea to do something. Tony, again, I think they're they're fooling people. That's what they think. They, they, they think they can get this by a jury. I deal with the media all the time. And yeah, off the record means something to that point. With that said, they clearly violated that. And look, uh, the whole issue of what Millie said, I know what Millie said, because I was trying to report on that fact that uh, certain folks within the Pentagon were trying to push President Trump to do something which was not in, in our in our interest, which was attacking Iran out of the blue. So your point, Greg, uh, I don't think there's anything there. This is simply Trump being Trump, talk, talking about things that happened that, frankly, was already in the public domain and, and was well reported on in the past. By the way, the stuff that he says that he owns up to, Millie, in that book, The Divider, by the fake news, Washington Post and New York Times. It's incredible. He incriminates himself. And I do think uh, the offense uh, is court martialable. Anyway, I got to go. Joe DeGeneva, thank you. Tony, thank you. And we'll be right back. So there she is, Carrie Lake, back when she was running for governor of Arizona. And boy, oh boy, did she turn out to be such a political dynamo. There is a new book by Carrie Lake. It's called Unafraid. And Carrie Lake joins us right here in the Newsmax studio. Carrie Lake, great to so see you. So good to be here. I love seeing that picture. I remember that, that day with President Trump and he came out and did a, his first rally of the year. The wind was whipping. It was cold. And 50 to 60,000 Arizonans descended on this dusty lot. 
and they stayed there all day through the cold weather to hear President Trump. It was so magical. It was a great day. I, I remember the cape and your speak, but you, you, you were wearing this cape. I mean, you look you're a very elegant person. Has anybody ever told you that? Uh, elegant. Maybe I have been told that. I don't consider myself elegant. I'm a little bit klutzy, so I'll take it as a compliment. All right, forgive me, but look, I think you were born to do politics. You were born to do it, but you didn't probably know that. You were a no. TV anchor person. You had never been on the other side of the camera being... So were you surprised when you figured out, look, you know you're good at it. Were you surprised? With politics, I was surprised at how um, my life in journalism and broadcast journalism as a TV anchor, a newswoman, prepared me for politics. I mean, it's, it's a perfect training ground for politics because, you know, when you are a journalist and you know this, you know this because you've been a reporter your, your whole life, you go to cover a story and you have to quickly connect with people. You have a deadline. You have to have a story written and be on the air in an hour or two. You don't have time to mess around. You need to be able to go and connect with people immediately, get their story, get them to trust you enough to tell you their story, and uh, share their information they have, and then, and then wrap it up and turn around and get on the air. And so that is a lot of politics. You, you are showing up at events, you're meeting people, making a connection. And this isn't something phony. This is something I always felt I was really good at. I, I grew up in Iowa. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. One of the chapters in my books uh, talks about how I've never been jealous of people who had more. I've always wanted to know more about it. Like, how did you become successful? How did you become the person you are today? And, and that is what led me into journalism. When I was a janitor in college, I worked at a drug treatment center, and I couldn't communicate with the patients because of uh, privacy. So I found myself imagining, A, how did they end up here with their lives you know, in turmoil? And then I would start to imagine what I envisioned their success story to be. And I always wish I could have told them. But I couldn't communicate with the patients. I wanted to say, look, I know you're here, but I see this happening in your life. And I hope that things get turned around because you have so much potential. I liked to imagine what their stories would be if they had a success story. And I hope that the people I encountered in that drug treatment center did go on and have success. Wow. And you were a janitor. What was your uh, what was your area of what, what did you do exactly? I cleaned uh, the meeting rooms, the individual patient rooms. I buffed floors. I'm the youngest of nine, so I had to work for everything. I, had, I graduated at 16 from high school and put myself through college, paying my own way. And when I got to college, a friend of mine said, I can get you twice what you're making now if you want to be a janitor. And I said, well, I'm, a pretty good, I'm pretty good at cleaning. I can do that. And it was a great job. I mean, the great yeah. thing about being a janitor or doing that kind of work is that you start off with things in disarray. And you start working, and, and each step you take is bringing order hmm. to disorder. You talked about connecting, and uh, I think you connected with Barack Obama. You went to the White House to interview him. I think we have a picture. <laughs> we might even have a moment. What was, um, what was it like? I felt like he was intrigued with you and the, and the questions, but did, was there tension? I mean, because he kind no, of... I, I went into every interview I did um, with as a journalist it's not my my job to get somebody but i did watch how people treated him it was it, it, there was almost this <gasps> adoration with the media and this is at a time i interviewed him when trump was was about one day away from taking beating ted cruz he had single-handedly knocked down 18 contenders and he was on his way to being the nominee trump was and I interviewed Obama a, a day before Ted Cruz dropped out. So Trump was then going to be the presumptive nominee, mm -hmm. right? And he was 
absolutely convinced Trump will not win, the American people, he will not win, he's not going to win. And uh, it turns out Obama was wrong. His instincts. <laughs> Actually, we have the moment. Oh, you we? do. Let's, yeah, play let's take a look. Yeah. Fill in the blank that Donald Trump will make America if he's I, elected. I haven't thought too much about it uh, because I don't think Donald Trump's going to end up being president. <laughs> oh, that's it. He was wrong. What a lie. I haven't thought too much about it. Not only was he thinking about mm. it, he was actively trying to take down Trump. We were so misled by that man. And the media did us no, did a disservice to the country. They never asked him tough questions. Conversely, a year later from that moment, I was sitting in the press pool at the White House with my same photographer, and the room was full of just rabid journalists, propagandists who were attacking the Trump administration. Mm. And I remember looking over at my photojournalist going, can you believe this? What a difference a year makes. A year earlier, a bunch of lapdogs sitting in there, lapping up anything the Obama administration said, not asking tough questions. And then Trump's in, in, in office and they're attacking him at every chance. And for eight years, they attacked him. The book is available wherever books are sold, unafraid, but I, I got to find, like, what are you going to do? This book is great. You're going to be on a book tour, and, uh, but there's a Senate seat with your name on it, some people think. Uh, there's a big opening, potentially, uh, you know, competitive race there. Are you going to do it? I'm considering it. I really seriously am. Um, I need to get through this. I'm looking at it. I know that all the polling is showing that we have a real advantage here. And with the three-way race... I mean, Arizona needs somebody who's going to go to D.C. and represent the people. And we have a, a current senator in that seat who is voting with Biden 95 percent of the time. We have a socialist running on the Democrat ticket who is uh, uh, not somebody we want to have running Arizona and helping Arizona. He won't help Arizonans. So I'm considering it. If they want me out of politics, the establishment, the political elite, something yeah. tells me I need to stay in. Absolutely. So I will let you know. I love it. I love it. Carrie Lake, thank you for dropping by. Thank the book so is, again, available wherever books are sold. I already have my copy, everybody. Unafraid by Carrie Lake. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. We'll be right back. All right. Who remembers this show? Sex in the City in the 90s and the early aughts. It was uh, politically incorrect. They did all kinds of crazy stuff. And for a chick show, it was actually pretty good. Uh, the new version on HBO is totally woke and weird, okay? They are ultra, ultra politically correct and, well, wrong about issues of sexuality, gender, and race. Take a look at this. Daddy, Daddy, here comes one. Stop if their light is on. We'll get one, baby. It's okay. Taxi! Yo! This never happens when we're with Claire's daddy. Ladies, meet me on the corner, okay? Taxi! <laughs> Sir! Excuse me. Sir, you wanna. Sir! This is illegal, so unlock the door or I'll report you. Okay, this has never happened in the history of this city. A well-dressed man of any ethnicity is not going to be denied a ride on Park Avenue. Notice that the cab driver is white, okay? And obviously they're implying a racist. I'll get back to him in a moment. But this, um, this foolishness has been perpetuated by media, by politicians, by Barack Obama.
Senator Obama, how do you address those who say you're not authentically black enough? <laughs> hey, well, not my question. Jordan's question. You know, uh, when I'm catching a cab in Manhattan uh, in the past, uh, I think uh, I, I've given my credentials. Yeah, cheap shot and wrong. Uh, cab drivers in New York, 99.99999% of them happen to be people of color. And they happen to be awesome. No matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, cab drivers, the people who help make this city move, are great people. And to imply that uh, there are racists behind the wheel, it just really bothered the heck out of me. When Barack Obama did it, when the Sex and the City crew did it, all right? So keep that in mind next time you hail a cab. Thank you for watching. I'll see you tomorrow.